14. Okay, I'll move a bit so everyone can see. <laughs> uh, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be a holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for an adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were first put to our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked with him in a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are in God's possession, to the praise of his glory. One, two, hey, okay, um, please, yeah, keep that passage in front of you, the guys will keep it up on the screen as well, um, it's great to be up here sharing with you, I was thinking, uh, we've been so looked after in this time of not having a minister here, I haven't preached for nine weeks, it's been a long time, uh, I nearly forgot how to prepare <laughs> this week, so, but I, I am prepared and I'm looking forward uh, to sharing and every time I get up over the coming term I'm going to be working through Ephesians. Uh, I'll tell you a little bit later why, um, what, what was going on for me that, that this pa passage in particular answered a thought that I was having but um, I'm also teaching it to my year 9 and 10 kids in my scripture classes so I thought I could halve my preparation by focusing on this, these passages in church as well and such a rich part of God's word. I've really learned in my preparation this week just how rich this short letter is. And so my prayer for all of us, and I'm going to pray now, that God would, um, God would enrich us through the richness of his word here. Father, we do thank you that you are a God that has spoken. Lord, that you've left your word for us. And Lord, that it's not ancient literature, but it's active. And it's alive. Lord, it can penetrate every part of our life. And Lord, that as you act in us by your spirit and by your word, Lord, you bring conviction and you bring change. Lord, we believe that. So Lord, keep us attentive, keep us open. Lord, allow, let, uh, let us allow you to, into parts of our life 
all parts of our life. And Lord, please bring about transformation in us and in our community. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, last week, uh, we had the opportunity to be away for, for a few days. Um, Tara had an event on at the Gold Coast, so I was able to tag along and, um, and just be there doing the fun things of the Gold Coast with the kids. But we stayed in some accommodation that was like the Airbnb thing where everyone's just letting their houses turn into motels these days. And when I was driving into the street where this Airbnb was, and it was kind of like, hang on, I'm going into the back streets of the Gold Coast here. This is a bit like, a bit strange. And the houses were pretty old. Like, you know, like, um, like a bit like, I don't know, this side of Woodburn Street in Evans Head, not like the newer buildings. Anyway. I pulled in, this is where we're staying, and it looks like a pretty plain kind of house. And you walk into it, it was a six-bedroom mansion that backed onto the water. You know how there's all those inlets around the Gold Coast? It had a swimming pool, it had um, kayaks that you could take out on the water, it had this magical sunset view that came down. You know how you actually get a sunset over the water? It was a really beautiful place to stay in. And I was thinking, this is pretty cool. We've lucked in here. Uh, one of our friends had booked it and I don't think we really paid our fair share so we were there for pretty cheap and it was a pretty relaxing kind of place to be. There was big areas, you know, there was a big um, screen nearly as big as that in the lounge room to watch the footy on which you had on Foxtel. It was a, it was a holiday, it was good. I was laying in the bedroom at one point and I was thinking, oh, like what luxury feels like, isn't it? This is a small taste. Oh, th- maybe this is, I'm just describing your home, I don't know. But, and then I thought about it, how could I stay here for another couple of weeks? This would be, be all right. Like, I really couldn't afford to do that. And then I, as, I, as the kind of couple of days we were there went on, I was like, if you did live here, you'd really need a cleaner. So you'd have to add that onto the bill of whatever, because, you know, it's big and you don't want to be just spending your whole time in a big house cleaning up after yourself, do you? That wouldn't, it'd only be like, and, and then after a while you think, well, I probably want a, a cook as well so that I don't have to do too much of that. And then after, and then, and then I kind of realised that it was winter, so the time that I jumped in the pool, I knew about it. It wasn't really, and it started to come undone for me a little bit. But really, as I thought about it, I thought somebody does own this place, Somebody does, can just come here whenever they want to. But really, whoever that is, gee, they must be either rolling in some cash or mortgaged up to the hilt. And then I thought, well, who's really benefiting out of this place existing? And then I thought, well, maybe it's the, it's the bank manager or the, you know, someone high up. Or the, really, the more that you go along these kind of trains of thought, and thank you for indulging me in mine, you kind of get to the point where there's just like, you know, a couple of thousand super rich people in the world and everyone scales back from there. This is just a small example of, of something that I see in the world around us. And, and just me being there, I'm actually helping out the person that's ultimately going to benefit from that place existing. Sure, I get to share in it for just a small portion of time I get to enjoy my three days on the Gold Coast or, or whatever it was. But there's somebody above me and somebody above them and somebody above them who's ultimately benefiting from my being there. Really, I'm ultimately helping out the guy that runs the bank. But 
everything in our life demands something of us. It, it costs for us to stay at this accommodation. Everything in our life demands something from us, whether it's our money or whether it's our time or our attention, like our thought, our insight, or whether it's just our affection. The, it, it demands from us that we like it, that we enjoy it, that we appreciate it, that we glory in it. Now, some things in our lives are worthy of that kind of attention. Our family, our friends, people around us who are in need, they're worthy of that time and affection. Our work can be a good thing that is worthy of that. There are other things in life, though, that are worthy of little attention. But the thing is, all things do demand our attention in some or other way. And really, I've started to use the language of worship the language of giving yourself over to something that is worthy to be given over to. How we actually do that, well, that actually reveals to us what we value most. If you just assess your life, what you, where your money goes, where your time goes, where your energy and your thought goes, that will reveal to you the things that you worship. So back to my example of our time on the Gold Coast... If I really wanted to go down that life, if I really wanted to create that kind of life for myself, well, I actually think I would put myself further out of reach from it than actually achieving it. If I were to ever live in a home like that, well, I would need to find a, a job that would actually let me pay for a life like that, wouldn't I? And if I were to find that job, how many hours would that demand out of my life? And how much would rob me of the time Spending that house. Or, if I wanted to just keep renting it, keep on logging on to Airbnb and staying there, okay, I mean, if I could actually afford that, I'd just be making the person that ultimately owns the house richer and richer and richer. And the richer that they get, the more that my riches to pay for the house would actually diminish in... Do you see the economy of it? They just get richer and I just spend more of my money that I don't actually have. So, I actually think that as you assess the stuff that you worship, the more that you can see this working out, the more that you actually worship, actually actively worship something that is not God and let it be the thing that drives your life, the more that it will actually rob you of the joy that it initially gave you. See, it's just the way that it works. The more that we invest in it, the more that we expectation that we place on it, the further away from ever seeing that hope uh, will we actually be. The Bible paints a picture that God created us as worshippers, as worshippers. And so, I was thinking, is everything in life actually an act of worship? And I had to think really hard whether that, I actually believed that that was true, but you can kind of see that it is true. See, sometimes our worship is very conscious. We're very fixated in our thinking on a particular thing. Sometimes our worship can be subtle. We find ourselves drawn into into caring about something, and we've kind of started to really value it and place a lot of value on it without ourselves consciously realising that that's what we're doing. 
And of course, our worship can be holy. It can be as God ordained it to be. In fact, we can serve and love our family. We can work hard in our job. We can fill in that blank. And it can genuinely be an act of worship to the God that created everything that he's given to us to do. It can be holy. Everything is actually an act of worship. Well, why are we at this passage? Because this passage reveals to us how when it comes to our worship of God, we're not left distancing ourselves from God. When our lives are reoriented through the gospel to a life that worships Jesus, that worships God for what he's done through Jesus, that worships by the Spirit in our life, we actually are drawn closer to God. We're we're realizing more what it is to be part of his family. Just listen to this passage. I'm going to pull out a couple of verses to kick us off. This is not instructions on how to worship. This is not a case as to why to worship. Paul has got his pen or shouted at his scribe and it's just exploded worship of God onto this page. We're tuning in to Paul's worship of Jesus. Listen to this, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 6. It is to the praise of his glorious grace. Verse 12. In order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And that's how he finishes in verse 14. After everything that we're going to see that he said here, it is to the praise of God's glory. The question that we've got to wrestle with when it comes to what we worship is who is truly worthy of our worship. And when you consider the richness of what we're going to look at in these passages, you can see that it's truly Jesus and Jesus alone that is worthy of our worship. So the way that this passage kind of, Paul deals with this stuff is he just takes us into stuff that God has done from past, that God does in the present, and that God is promised to do in the future to, to just in, encourage us and to, to bring to mind why God is so worthy of our worship. Look at verse 4 with me. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Before the very creation of the world. Now, a bit of a buzzword around our world in in politics when it comes to development is to think, are we going to future-proof something? Is something future-proofed? And really we get negative examples like a two-lane highway that probably could have been three lanes, you know, just out the road here, that probably should have had a train track up the middle of it, or an NBN which isn't, isn't really that national or doesn't really extend where it meant to go or is already being superseded by the 5G network of mobile, whatever. Okay, you know what future-proofing is? God wasn't future-proofing. It's far richer than that. For Paul to say here that before creation, he's actually revealing that before God spoke one word with the intent of creating, he had in mind to bring about a people that would know him. To bring about a people adopted into a family that experience life united with him. 
with us as children and him as our father. Just contemplate that blessing that is in that, in that thought. Before God even breathed a word of creation, he planned to send his son to save you, to make you holy, to make you his own. In fact, that brings us into the present. Look at verse 5. He predestined us for adoption. Adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and real uh, and will, sorry. Now, we preach from the updated NIV translation and you might notice that they helpfully have turned all the passages that say brothers into brothers and sisters because they are inclusive terms and all of those kind of things. But it doesn't do that here and it doesn't do it for a really specific reason. He predestined us for adoption to sonship. See, the reason that Paul uses that term is because that's actually a legal term. In the city of Ephesus, which was part of the Roman Empire, to be in the position of sonship was to be the heir, the one that would inherit all of your father's property, all of your father's riches, all of your father's little kingdom that's been built by him. When it says here that we've been adopted as sons, that means we've been adopted as the ones that will inherit the kingdom, that will inherit life in that family. This is at the heart of the difference between knowing and worshipping God and not. Okay, all that rubbish that I said about where I stayed on the Gold Coast, it illustrates this point, that my devotion in my life to Jesus as an adopted child will not put me further away from the God that I'm worshipping. The truth is that I'm brought fully into that family. I'm adopted and I will be adopted in that position. You will be adopted in that position. A Christian will be adopted in that position where they are set to inherit the fullness of the kingdom of God. We are promised the kingdom. We're treated by God as he treats Jesus. As he treats Jesus. The true son of God. And this actually makes sense. It comes full circle because if you think about where does your righteousness come from? Your righteousness, your right standing before God that he would look on you as a clean, forgiven child is because Jesus' righteousness has been transferred onto you. It has been given to you. And so what else could we inherit except the thing that is promised that belongs to the Son himself? Just dwell on that for a moment. How rich is that blessing? To be adopted means that you are fully in the family. And the great truth of the gospel is that that adoption is never by our own effort. It is never by our calling out, please have mercy on me. That's our response to the God that reaches down in mercy. Look at verse 7. 
In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of his grace. Now, I don't know what you understand redemption to be. The most common way I do redemption is I rip that little bit of the seed off and I take it to the servo and I redeem my four cent discount when I pay for my petrol. In the olden days, you used to lay by things and you would go and redeem whatever you've put away for in the future. The redemption that is spoken about here is far richer than that. See, for God to redeem us in Christ, he takes us back. He takes us back as his children where sin has held us captive. Sin that has both come from outside as evil has come into the world, but also sin that we've participated in, sin that we are responsible for. And this just takes us back to that, that thought that we can never escape and we can never let ourselves let go of this, that forgiveness is 100% by His grace. It's never partly what we do. It's never partly how we call. You won't get any more assurance than that. And you can have assurance because that is true. When you look at this, right now, we've got nowhere else to go but to fully hope and trust in Jesus. This is you if your hope and trust is in Jesus. 100% in the family. There's no outsiders. Sure, like maybe you are a bit on the fringe of the main things that are happening in our church, but in God's family, if your hope is in Christ, there are no outsiders. You are adopted into this family. Because you've been 100% forgiven from your sin. Can you see why Paul is praising God? Like what other response can there be? The only proper response is to shout praise. And not only that, it's the way that we actually help ourselves believe. The more that we sing the praises of God, whether that's literally breaking out into song, or whether that's memorizing scripture, or whether that's coming back to his word daily, or whether it's speaking it into the lives of each other, the more that we do that, the more that we will actually believe and live in accordance with this. Later on in chapter 4 of Ephesians, after Paul has really spelled this out, he goes on to say, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. It comes around to a responsibility that we have. It's a dynamic relationship, but it is all initiated by God. And we can praise him for that. Because it gives us confidence, doesn't it? It gives us confidence that we are his. We are who he says he, we are. Chosen, not forsaken. All those wonderful truths that we've sung. It's why we sing that other song, Jesus is Better. Okay, we sing it pretty frequently. And as you go through each of the truths that it lists, we pray a prayer in there. That we pray, make my heart believe this. The encouragement is that we would really believe this. It's the way to drown out all the distractions. It's a way to drown out all the other things that pull on our life. And it's the way that together we build each other up in this truth. Praising God living for the praise of God, speaking the praise of God. Now, Paul doesn't stop there, and I'm thankful that he doesn't. Look at what verse 8, the second part of verse 8 through to the end of verse 10 says. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, 
to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth and under Christ. What Paul's got in mind and what what we're pointed toward is this truth that everything that God has done from past and in the present is leading to a future where all things are united and all things are under the rule of Christ. Where there is no sin. Sin has been dealt with because sin is rebellion against being under the rule of Christ. If everything is united under Christ, therefore sin is dealt with. And this unity that he's talking about, this is the fruit of his grace shown to us. Because God has shown grace, it will produce unity. It will bring the world together. It is the hope that we have. It is the message that we, the world needs. It's the, it's the message. They know they need it. They just look for it in the wrong places. Our differences as, a, as, as humans will be put aside only by the grace of God, only as we accept our place as worshippers of the true God. Only as we submit to the love of God and Jesus. And this just brings us to that bigger realization of why we exist, why we're here, why we're here, why there's something rather than nothing. I have shared plenty of times how I became a Christian and I was about 12 or 13 years old. But when I was at the other end of high school and about to, um, you know, have the freedom that comes from being uh, graduating high school and going on to university and those kind of things. I'd, I'd uh, studied a bit of, um, in Shakespeare, in English and stuff, this idea of existentialism, that everything is completely meaningless um, and that, that, there's no, that there's no purpose. And it's like, I, I wouldn't say I had an existential crisis like people talk about, but I certainly... It certainly was, you know, that worldview made a whole lot of sense apart from everything that I knew from the Word of God. It drove me into the book of Ecclesiastes where you just see in there that if you do that, if you put God out of the picture, you will not come up with an answer as to what on earth life is about. But then as I discovered that what the Bible teaches about grace and about the glory of God, it was almost like I was converted for a second time. Now, you don't have to be converted. Like, as soon as your faith's in Jesus, you're saved. Don't confuse what I'm saying here. But it took me into this deeper realization of what the call on my life to follow Jesus actually was going to take shape, what shape it was going to take, what it, what it would mean. It only left me with a question. I'm still working it out. But what is it going to mean for me to live a life to the glory of God? Do you know what? This is what the gospel will do to you. It will save you and it will get you thinking, how am I going to live to the glory of God? And it will motivate you to live to the glory of God because if you've really understood the grace of God, you know how much he loves you. And that love will compel. It will compel you to live for him. The gospel gives us a final destination where everything is united under Christ, even heaven and earth. Did you notice that's what he said? 
the end of verse 10, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth. You go to Revelation, those two things are merging. This stuff about the future, well, it goes on in these next few verses to actually show that what God does through bringing the gospel into our lives actually sets us up as a people that start to show these truths in how we live, that actually show that this is, this is the reality that's coming, that we are the people now who live this future truth and we live it by the spirit that he's put inside of us. Look at verse 11. He goes back into the past again. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with his purpose and will. Your coming to Jesus was a part of God's will. Jesus' death and resurrection was always God's plan. And its goal, like I've said, was that we would be adopted as his children. And he did it so that we would be able to praise him, that we would be able to see and experience his glory. Now, I actually found this next bit really hard to word, so bear with me. Because I don't know whether it's our Australian culture or whether we're sceptical of people that ask for glory, that we're tempted to think, is is God a bit full of himself here? Is God a little bit, why does he want us to glorify him? Why does he want us to praise him? And I can see how it seems that way. But it's not. And precisely because our praise of him is actually to glory in his selfless love, that it could never be that. If you look at Jesus on the cross, and you conclude that he's just desperate for people's attention, well, you've made a huge mistake. Because that was never to create a people that, if it had no effect... If he was just another dead guy from history, then sure, Christianity's a joke. But he claimed a victory there that sin is dealt with, that you are set free, that you stand before God a clean child and adopted into his family. He vindicated that when he rose from the dead. He proved it. us to be devoted to living for the glory of God, to be worshippers, to be full of praise for God, the more that we praise God, the more that he actually builds us up, the more that it actually blesses us. We're actually sharing in his glory. And that makes perfect sense because we are set to inherit a place in his family. It makes perfect sense. And so, we have his spirit in us. It's the deposit of this future truth. See, if the goal is that all things are going to be unified all Jesus, under Jesus, sorry, that's literally all things, including heaven and earth, then now we have Jesus' spirit deposited into us. He will bring us as individuals under his rule, now in the present. He will build that up in us. 
And he, the Spirit, will unite us as a body of people who believe. That's where the letter goes from chapter 4 on. He talks about the church. He talks about how the Spirit creates us into a transformed people. What this tells us is that you belong to Jesus by faith. And Jesus gives you his Spirit. And that Spirit lives in you to bring that truth to life, to allow you to live it, to allow you to transform in, in the pattern of it. My conviction to share this with you was literally while I was lying on that bed in this beautiful house thinking about going on this silly thought train and how much more logical it is to be devoted to worshipping Jesus. But notice that Paul, this is not one of Paul's beautiful logical arguments, is it? This passage doesn't let us just stop at marvelling at, at just how logical the gospel is. The truth that is embedded here that we can marvel at, that, that we can praise God for, is that we are adopted as his children. That we are children of the Creator, of the Father. That everything that is His is yours. Every blessing, every grace. This is a passage of pure praise. This is a passage about Jesus and every spiritual blessing comes from our being in Christ. It is all his blessings shared with us by his grace. All praise to him. All praise to the Father of our Lord Jesus. All praise to the Spirit who is alive inside of us. Amen? There is a time to ask questions about idols in our life because we've been talking about worshipping and that's kind of where I started. There's a good book about that called Counterfeit Gods, but I don't want to go there today. This passage gives us the rich words on our lips to be people that sing the praise of what it is to be included in Jesus. that praise would be our new and natural language, that it would come out in every action, that it would be our life's treasure, that those blessings would be our life's treasure, that the God of those blessings would be our life's treasure, that our lives would orbit him, that it would be taken away from a life that just lives for ourselves. They would orbit our risen Lord Jesus now, just like they're going to when he returns. Let's pray together. Father, the richness of your, your grace, your will, your plan, Lord, that before the creation of your world, Lord, you, you knew us. Lord, that you had a plan to redeem us. Lord, that you would make us your children. Father, Lord, we go through seasons where we ignore this and we live blindly for ourselves. Lord, bring us out of that. Lord, I pray that your grace would continue to extend to us in that time.
Father, Lord, we sometimes live as orphans that we don't realize that you've taken us to be your own. Lord, by your spirit, with our eyes on Jesus, let us know the intimacy that we can have with you as our Father. Grow us into that. And Father, unify us as your people. Lord, give us a taste of of what it is to be united under Christ. Give us a taste now of what it is to be united under Christ. And Lord, we know this is to your glory. Lord, we know that you are full of glory and worthy of our endless praise. So Lord, transform us into people that constantly believe that. In Jesus' name, amen.